Okay, so I'm so excited to talk to today's guest, uh, someone who's moved seamlessly from plays to musicals to film and TV, and someone who I've admired for a long time now. It's Harriet Thorpe. Hello, Harriet. How Hello. are you? I'm good, thank you. I am so excited to be here and talking <laughs> to you today, honestly. Um, there's so much to get through as well, because boy, have you... Uh, been involved in some amazing, amazing piece of theatre. But um, I guess we should start with Ruthless, uh, which you're doing at the moment at the Arts Theatre. How's that going? It's fantastic. It's something that everyone can identify with. The story is not just about the ruthless people in the show. It has a bigger reflection on our world today, uh -huh. actually. But it's wildly funny. Everyone has a blast. And it's hysterical. And everyone will identify for, for, for those people who aren't familiar with the show, because this is the UK premiere, am I right? Correct. Um, so could you give us just a tiny kind of taste of what the story is or what the synopsis is? Every person in the show has been or wants to be a part of the theatrical profession. Who wouldn't? Exactly. So in essence, it's loaded. And... Um, <laughs> Ruthless is exactly what everybody is, uh -huh. in one way or another, carrying bitterness, mm -hmm. which of course I know nothing about, um, <laughs> or um, anxiety, again, a mystery to me, <laughs> their longed-for success, or the fact that they are now doing something other than the job of choice, uh -huh. it's hysterical. Yeah. And everybody has an agenda, everyone is different but utterly ruthless right. and it's joyous because of that. And uh, it, it's kind of uh, a campy nod or a parody, a loving parody we should say, to those films like um, All About Eve, Gypsy, Mame, th those kind of, those kind of um, uh, rising starlet thrusting their way into the business. That is that kind of um, It's vibe. a nod to those old movies but mm -hmm. it's also a nod to today uh -huh. and the shows of today. Uh -huh. Nothing else is different. Um, so um, it, I think that's the, the beauty of it. Uh -huh. The thing I love about uh, you doing Ruthless at the moment is that you've just come from doing Romeo and Juliet as well mm. in Guildford. Juliet, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were playing the nurse, we should say that. But, oh, um, that's very harsh. <laughs> but, um, it was a choice for me, Juliet or the nurse. And I thought, well, obviously Juliet's the obvious choice, but I'll go to do the nurse yeah, this Yeah, very time. giving, very giving. It's a big departure for yeah. me, but yeah. Um, uh, but, but that, to me, as, as a kind of onlooker, and, and I meant what I said at the start of this episode, I've admired you for such a long time. I really, really think you're uh, just, I just love watching you and I've seen you in so many things. Um, but that's so, that sums up your career so beautifully that you've gone from Romeo and Juliet to this campy classic musical. You know, it's, your career is nothing if not diverse. It's just, it's been quite amazing really to kind of watch as an onlooker. Um, I'm very lucky to have the opportunity. And I think this country provides that for a lot of people that you can be in theatre, in television, in film, in musicals, mm -hmm. and you're allowed to do everything. Mm -hmm. it, of course, if you start in one genre, making the jump is difficult, mm. but that's a given. However, I think we are able to do all, and that's important. Mm. It's interesting you touch on that because, <clears throat> excuse me, I spoke to Fra Fee earlier on in this series, and... Um, he mentioned that something he did, a decision he made very early on is that he wasn't going to get boxed in or kind of categorised into one genre. And sometimes that means doing uh, a play that might not be at the level that you want to do, but just to do a play. So people aren't seeing you just in one category. I think when I started acting, 
just about 30 years ago, obviously, um, ever youthful, that um, we were able to always go from one genre to another. And um, that was the important thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't... It wasn't sort of a prerequisite. A lot you look back in British history, film stars. Olivier was in the films, mm-hmm, and he was in course. television, and he could do theatre. Yeah. It's only as we've moved on, and I think with television and film escalating, and now of course we have all you know a million channels, mm-hmm, um, yeah. and nobody watches anything in real time. We mm-hmm. it's harder to diversify, uh-huh. and I think I was lucky to to not be judged or was able to do more than one thing in that era. Mm. We spoke a little bit about um, when you started off. I'd like to go even further back, if I may. Uh, And just because this information that's completely new to me, but where were you born, Harriet? I was born in London. Okay. Um, That doesn't surprise me. You you (laughs) ooze London. (laughs) Um, My father was an actor and then became uh, a writer and ballet critic. And my mother was a writer mm-hmm. and uh, then screenwriter. She wrote an important book in the 1960s called The Leather Boys, which was the Brokeback Mountain of its day. Oh, right. Okay. Which was very important because it was still legal to be gay. And this was about two working class boys who fell in love mm-hmm. as opposed to effete right. class boys. Uh-huh. And they were bikers. And it became a kitchen sink drama with Rita Tushingham, Dudley Sutton. Um, that was her novel originally, and then she wrote the movie, and that started her movie career. So when I was about eight, um, my sister was about five, we moved to L.A., and our uh, very close cousin over there was musical director of Columbia Pictures, so we moved straight in with them in Bel Air. Um, Lucille Ball lived around the corner. He was one of his name was Maurice Stoloff, and he was one of the men who found Frank Sinatra and orchestrated all his... Um, of his concerts and indeed had three Oscars of his own. Wow. And so that's where I started my life in LA. Okay. And then I went to school and we were at school in Beverly Hills for about two years. And then my parents decided we should to and fro. Uh-huh. It was better to have a foot in both um, places. So we, we literally, my mum was doing films for 20 years. She worked with Robert Altman. I mean, extraordinary people. So, and so we, we to and fro I then went to the Royal Ballet School till, um, certain parts of my anatomy grew too large. They were never <laughs> getting in a tutu, not without ropes and pulleys. And, um, and then Rombe School. And then I was lucky enough to be a waitress at Joe Allen when it first opened. And I served Tennessee Williams and Lauren Bacall. I've actually knelt at Tennessee Williams's uh, table. As I, you would. As you would. And yeah. I presented him with a bowl of chilli, which was his, his <laughs> meal of choice. Um, everybody, because Joe Allen's was so extraordinary at the time, it was the only theatre restaurant in London that was open late. Everybody was there. Mm. Everybody came that there. Elaine Stritch mm. came there every day from, uh, she was living at the Savoy, she'd have a cheeseburger and fries at the end of the bar every day. Um, I mean, that was just normal. And then I went to drama school. So I, again, was very lucky with my parents' upbringing. Again, I, it was a very liberal family. I wasn't aware of racism, bigotry, homophobia, um, anti-Semitism, I had no idea about that mm-hmm. until I stepped into the real world mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to grow up in a very liberal artistic world where everybody was equal regardless of who they loved. And I think that that gave me a, an amazing start. I went up in a lift with Fred Astaire. My mum was doing a movie in Italy and I remember telling 
Fred, I like to call him that, um, <laughs> how much I enjoyed him in Singing in the Rain. He took it very well. <laughs> um, Eek. No, but it was fine. You know, I was a kid. I was about nine. Mm. And um, so I think that was an, it was an amazing start. And to have been at the Royal Ballet School, and I have lots of friends in the company still um, because of those connections. My mother also wrote Kenneth McMillan's um, synopsis for Myling, Isadora. You know, they were great friends and he wanted a, a journey, um, a coherent journey of a rather huge story. Uh, so she did that journey, which begins and ends in the same place, was her idea. So, you know, it, it again, it was an amazing, an amazing experience. I've just finished Panto in January and my dad came to see me do The Wicked Witch. And he said, when I was last on the stage, it was with Italia Conti in 1944. Or I saw you tweet that. Yeah. Because he was he left home at 14 and a half, 15 in the Blitz to come down to London to lodgings in Bloomsbury to go and join the show Where the Rainbow Ends, which he did as a kid, really. Mm, I mean, you couldn't do that today, not without a chaperone, on his own, darling, Mm. you know, watching the the bombers go over. Um, Extraordinary. And so he then toured and was at RADA and et cetera and and made a great friend there called Alan DeWitt, who was a great friend of ours also in LA, who was Jack Lemon's friend and coach. so, you know, it was, again, extraordinary. We would, we would go to Jack's for a barbecue on a Sunday mm-hmm. or we was, I was sitting having my hair dried by Auntie Jean and Auntie Jean was this lovely lady who we went to her pool and she was drying my hair with my sister and this guy, Howard, walked in. She said, oh, girls, this is my husband, Howard. I was like, oh, hello, uh, Howard Hughes. That was Jean Peters. My sister and I grew up playing on the back lots and, you know, Hello Dolly was so expensive, Main Street, to build, that it, they never took it down. So my sister and I, my sister's also an actress, Matilda Thorpe, um, and she was in Desmond's and she's just at the moment doing, playing Rupert Grint's mother in a Sky production. And um, we were playing in Harmonia Gardens. I've got to say that even before you touch on training, that's that's an entire 30 minute kind of episode <laughs> of a podcast right there. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's really, really unbelievable. But I would like to touch on something I certainly know about you, uh, which is uh, that you are so passionate about dance and classical dance. And I know, you know, from following you on Twitter, um, that you're always at the ballet, you're always watching things. So it stands to reason that, so you trained. uh, trained, You trained in ballet. Yeah. Um, And talk a little bit about that experience. When you were training in ballet, um, did you know you wanted to be an actress or or were you going into ballet as far as you were concerned? Initially, because you're young and dance is something you do when you're young, you don't think about anything else. My experience is that all expression to communicate whatever comes from the same place. The desire to perform comes from the same place. And that could be musically, it could be um, vocally, Mm -hmm. it could be singing, it could be Mm -hmm. dancing, acting, even the expression in painting, the feeling, the impetus Mm -hmm. to express comes from the same place. Agreed. So it was an easy transition when I let go of my point shoes um, to know that as I ran up the steps of Central School of Speech and Drama many moons ago, um, I felt I was coming home because not only had I that sensation of awareness physically about how I look, because as a dancer, you can feel how you look. You're in touch with your imagery 
because you spend so much time connecting what you see and what you express. So I was lucky enough to know what I look like, even mm. though I couldn't see myself. It's an instinctive thing. I think dance gives you life skills. Um, I think you know how to, my son was a dancer uh-huh. and when he was 18, he was abroad in Czech Republic and he was able to speak Czech within the first few months. He knew how to wash his clothes, how to feed himself, because those are the things you have to do as a dancer at 18 mm-hmm. or before, mm-hmm. since he was 16 in training. And so most of his friends who were going to university could barely open a tin of beans and certainly brought their washing home. Discipline. He'd done mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. again, something else is that it doesn't matter how you feel, you get on and do your job. Mm-hmm. Again, that's something that dance gives you. It doesn't matter if you don't want to do eight shows a week, you get on with it. I've just had a real epiphany about you. <laughs> In t- the, the fact that you trained as a dancer and what you're saying about it gives you an awareness for your poise, how you look, how you come across. That all makes sense to me now. That all makes sense to me that you trained as a dancer because that's something that I would associate with you is that you are so aware of what you look like and and how you come across at all times. I mean, you are gorgeous and always look so flawless. I'll pay you later. (laughs) But, you know, um, that that totally makes sense to me now that you trained as a dancer. That's totally kind of, uh, yeah. That's the bit of the puzzle. Yes, yeah, that really, really does make sense to me now. Harriet, I mean, as I say, there isn't enough time to talk about all all the work that you've done, but, you know, uh, worked extensively at the National Theatre. You were in Les Mis, Mamma Mia, Wicked, Cabaret, Crazy for You. You did The Girls. I saw you in Sweeney Todd, which I do want to talk about. Um, And an amazing production of The Dresser, which was on in town uh, just last year. Um, But I I, I was thinking on the way here, because... Uh, again, those those theatre jobs aside, you've also worked really successfully in television as well, which is uh, a move that so many theatre actors want to make and unfortunately are rarely successful in uh, because that is such a different discipline. Um, but I did wonder, are there two or three moments or jobs or instances that you feel were turning points for you? Could, could you? could you kind of pick any, a couple of moments out where you thought, you know what, that really changed the game for me? I think there are moments in life, aren't there, mm-hmm. that are pivotal moments that come over the course of your life. I think sometimes early on, I once said no to a job. And that was a key to freedom, not to think I'm better than, but sometimes it's all right to say no. Uh-huh. And then the next thing that comes along was something that was more right. I think working at the National Theatre with Richard Eyre and David Hare in their company, with those innovative new works like Pravda with Anthony Hopkins. I mean, it was, I was about 25, I think. And it was, a, we were doing the shows for two years. We did a show called The Futurist with Dan Day-Lewis. We were, you know, it was, it, it, it was the most creative, amazing, vibrant company to be in. And there were like six different companies at the theatre at the time. It was an amazing idea and totally expanded your experience. I think always working at the National Theatre has been pivotal because there's no agenda. It's about creativity. It's not about making money. It's about... But I I feel that 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 trickles down to the companies as well. Um, I've never, whenever I've gone to see things at the National and I've gone backstage and I've spoken to the companies, 
it feels like it's a, vo- a, a void of agenda. It, it's yeah. people are just so friendly and welcoming, and they want to bring it's you in. It's all about theatre. Mm-hmm. It's not about anything else. Correct. Yeah. And so everyone's there for the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the equality and the community is fantastic. And I think I think that every time I work there, I am so grateful to be a part of whatever company because it's. One's just so lucky to have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think obviously there are pivotal moments when I was at drama school with Jen and Dawn. Um, we were friends since then. Epiphany again. So you were, you went to drama school. So for those people who don't know, I should probably say that you're talking about um, Jennifer Saunders and Dawn French, uh, who you've gone on to work with uh, quite a lot. So you went to drama school with them. We were all at drama school. I was on the acting course. They were on the teacher's course. And there was kind of an unwritten rule, which when I think Central had its 100th birthday or whatever it was, centenary, we did a pastiche sketch where you never spoke to anyone that wasn't an actor. There were speech therapists, barely even looked at them. And teachers, again, maybe you'd pass the time of day with a good morning. For me, I didn't have any of those issues. And Dawn and Jen were always hysterical and always wonderful. And there were very tedious end-of-term cabarets where actors in cravats were always doing tedious songs and poems. And they would come on and do the Patsy Sisters and would be more brilliant than any of us could ever hope Mm -hmm, to be. mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, as I said, we've been friends and... Jen and I have been mates and I'm godmother to her eldest daughter um, and um, as his daughter, actually. Um, so we've been friends for like 40 years. And that whole, again, that alternative comedy, when that began, was so revolutionary. All those amazing people, Rick and Aid and mm. Nigel, and uh, it was just phenomenal. Mm. It changed comedy and women in comedy as we know it. Totally. Um, so... Uh, Meeting them and having their friendship and working with them and still having friendship Mm. is the most wonderful thing. Um, I think that I was so lucky to do musicals to suddenly start my first West End musical was Madame Thenardier. Mm. She started small. (laughs) Straight into Les Mis. Straight into Les Mis. (laughs) But again, that was an extraordinary experience because I'm not a singer. I'm an actress who sings and that's different. I wish I had a beautiful voice. I have a voice that should clean ovens. And That's so not true. Bless you, darling. It is. Um, but, you know, again, in Ruthless, with the amazing singers we have in Ruthless, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm not out of my comfort zone. That's not the right phrase. But I'm so aware of my acting actress who sings as opposed to a singer uh-huh. who uh-huh. is also an actor. But that's always been, and, and, and I imagine it always will be, the way that you come at something, isn't it? The actress first. And it's I, a character choice, always. Yeah. And I teach a lot, and that's something that I try to drill in. And I know you teach as well. Mm. You, you sometimes kind of go in and, and, and meet with students. Mm. And um, that's something you have to get across really, really early on in training, I think. It's, it's always acting first. It's got to be. So it's got that, to be a character choice. I, I was mm-hmm. thinking about Mrs. Lovett and why she's... Why is she able to put people into pies? How do you rationalize that and for her it's about love mm-hmm. and she in my mind always prayed for Sweeney to come back mm-hmm. and he did mm-hmm. and the moment she sees him again from her prayers to the universe he's there no matter what she's there for him yeah and she's not letting it go not yeah. letting it go and also it's not even yes that but 
it's not even not letting it go. It's the fact that where do you say, here's somebody's arm, can you mince that down and pop it in a pie? <laughs> the reality of that mm. is because it's love transcends everything mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. Madame Thenardier is a grotesque, funny character. The reality is she's abusive to a child and throws her out into the dark. That's not funny. Mm. And I decided for myself, because I came into it when it was about 13 years old, that Cosette reminded her of herself as a child and she wants to throw it away because her own daughter is dressed in little petticoats and beautified. So that's what I've... Mm -hmm. You don't have to play those things, but making those choices and mostly anything comedic comes from pain... It doesn't come from trying to be funny. Yeah, it comes from, from people trying to cope with their mm-hmm. less than feeling. And again, she has her, Madame Thenardier in the end, when she's dressed up and feeling the most beautiful. I mean, in the book, in the novel, it says she reads romantic novels. She's literate. She's literate. Mm. And she has romance. And she wants a handsome prince. And let's face it, Thenardier's... Anything but that. Mm. I'm sure they've not been close mm. in many a moon. But she has a romance. So I asked them to put on my costume. I had a belt. And I said, please, could you put chains on it? And I want to chain everything that would matter to her onto her body. Because they're in a... They're in. They fleece everybody. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so anything that mattered to her, she would keep next to her. Mm-hmm. And on the chains, I had a small novel, some keys, a fan and a mirror. And we were at the Shaftesbury, so it was the big, we had the big revolve. And there was one scene I came on and I was just reading my book and I shut it as we revolved on because that was her, as she started that scene, not for me, anyone else to notice, Mm -hmm. but those Mm -hmm. creative artistic choices are the things that are fun for me mm-hmm. to uh, know where the pain comes the de- from and, and the, the detail, longing. the detail, all of those things. That's what makes it worth. I, w- I was having this conversation with someone yesterday. To me, mm. that's what makes it worth it. Yeah, it's, it's the playing. detail. Yeah. It's create. It's being creative, and and again, you know, I only ever play psychotic people, never normal, and whether if it, I mean I've said this before, but if I was in a, in a Shakespeare play, I'm either crazy nurse lady. Or I am a wicked queen poisoning her husband. Mm-hmm. You know that it, it's that it's that, and to know in Cymbeline, she, that I was a queen poisoning her husband because she wanted her son to be okay and to move forward and to be safe. Mm-hmm. It's psychotic, murderous, but it comes from a different place. Oh, Never always, have to yeah. show it, but have to know it. Yes, for sure. For and I sure. think that's the fun of being a character actress mm-hmm. in whatever you do. Yes. It's also in things like British Empire. In the print, it said when we first saw it, it says Carol. Oh, I, yeah. Carol cries all the mm-hmm. time. And I thought crying all the time is really boring. Trying not to cry mm-hmm. is much more interesting. Mm-hmm. So the sound of that person trying not to cry is sometimes really hard. It's sometimes <laughs> really slow. Mm-hmm. And she loves Mr. British so much, mm-hmm. she can't say it fast enough. So she says, yes, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because she loves him. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a schoolgirl, being such so admiring of my teacher who was so extraordinary and charismatic called Miss Branton. And my hand would shoot, she'd say, class, who can tell me the answer? Your hand would shoot up and that's what you do. And that's where Mr. Bruce's came from. Yeah. And that's where the sound and the choices mm-hmm. you make and of course those that characters. Became so you were talking about the British Empire and of uh, that you did it. 
on BBC. And 27 years ago, 28 years ago. Oh, goodness me, really? We did it for seven years. Wow. And we had something like 13 million viewers. And it's I loved you, it. it was I loved a, it. It was chaotic and also mm. advanced in its time. Mm-hmm. Two boys were together. The only person who didn't know about that was British. Um, you know, and we had an amazing reunion recently, um, uh, which was wonderful because they're refurbing the centre that we used to um, film at. I see. And so we've just had a massive reunion with all of us, which was just glorious. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I'm really interested in something you just touched upon. Um, and it was because uh, if I'm going to speak to anyone about comedy, you're probably the first person I come to in terms of my address book. Um, and uh, it's just so interesting what, you, what you're talking about. You can't play comedy. You have to find the detail and then that comes to itself. And, you know, we know that, but it's so interesting how a lot of actors don't and they play the joke rather than the truth of the moment. You have to, we were so lucky in all those like Ab Fab, British, it was always in front of a live audience. Mm -hmm. So you have the, you would play the audience in timing, which is a feeling Mm -hmm. of when a laugh goes, when you come in with the next line. And also you also didn't do that always because you had, you know, uh, uh, you're on film, so it's a different dynamic as well. Mm-hmm. So we had we could learn so much with a live audience and filming things. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that instinctively you know how to have a laugh or get a gag right, mm-hmm. and that's a feeling or a timing thing, mm-hmm. um, always. And um, so it's interesting with all those things. We were lucky enough to do lots of comedy on telly and have an audience and not have an audience. Mm-hmm. So I think mm. you learn things mm. about being funny. And it's not just detail. It's making choices about the characters. Correct, yeah. And what the truth is. And nobody wants to, in comedy, you know, it's you don't want to open a vein and, you know, have a drama. Mm, mm, mm. Most comedy is about people coping mm, mm. and covering up their yes. inadequacy. Yeah. But it's just so funny that, that what you're talking about is just so exciting to listen to because it's something that I talk about all the time is that, to underline or highlight a joke is the death of that joke. You just have to let it happen. And there has to be a reason why it's said and it's said in that manner, which comes from that story that you have. But that's it. The joke just has to land itself. And also things evolve and change. There's no one way to do anything. There is no rule book. And what works for some person doesn't have to work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I again, I'm I'm fascinated by people who just want to have a rule book. This is how you do this. Mm -hmm. And you can't. And I've been in shows which have been traumatic in the sense that they haven't been easy going to get on stage for all sorts of reasons. And they're successful. Then I've been in shows that have been smooth, buoyant, joyful, and they're successful. Who's to say what is the right process? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There isn't. There isn't. Otherwise we'd all do it all the time. Mm. But it's about creativity, I suppose. Mm. And in our culture, and that's what we're known for in this country, the arts, and in every sense, theatre, film, mm-hmm. television. And I think that's the most important thing. You spoke a little bit about um, uh, Absolutely Fabulous, which mm. I, I, would I be right in saying, I mean, that and um, and the British Empire were, were just such huge things for you. They were. Um, I mean, I was very lucky. Also, I did... Um, comedy with Alexi Sale. I did his first series. God, I loved um, him. Alexi Sale stuff. Mm. Yeah. Lots of different sketches in Alexi Sale stuff for Felicity Montague and myself, who were the two girls in the first series, mm-hmm. a couple of series. 
utter joy because we got to play a whole load of different people mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Last year, I had the joy of going back into radio again with Rebecca Front and Moena Banks. And I'd forgotten what fun it was to create characters when you don't have to be seen, mm-hmm. when you can just be a voice. And I was a, a makeup lady who talked a bit like this. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I didn't have to look like that person, yeah, yeah. but I could just do voices. Mm-hmm. And I adore doing voices mm-hmm. so much. Well, Fleur has a voice, doesn't she? Right, that's right, she does. It's really, <laughs> really... I think probably on too many meds. I don't know. <laughs> Keeping her days really happy and carefree. Mm. And she has a, a weak R. Yes, she certainly it, does. Just And then Jen would write lots and lots of funny things. Yeah. But again, I don't ever really play me. Mm-hmm. I might play a part of me, yes, but I don't sure. really sound like me. Uh-huh. I, it's about a different mm. thing. And I think that's part of being a character actress is not me. Mm. Yeah, well, it's such a joy to watch. And you must have been, it must have just been so exciting. I mean, globally, there was excitement when they talked about bringing Ab Fab back for the film. Yeah. So I'm assuming you knew before we all did. Um, what, what was that like? That must have just been so exciting. I think we've all known each other forever, you know, so, well, we've, Jen and I have known each other forever. But Ab Fab's been going for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And we did a, in 2012, we did three specials and things. So again, it's not that long ago and people are in touch always mm-hmm. or cross-pollinating in different shows. And I think the idea to honour, especially as it was a very depressing time of year, Brexit had happened and it just lifted everyone into a different arena. And it nailed it. And Jen's so clever because it, it just... It was a refresh Mm. and again, a wit Mm. and the wonderful thing of being, you know, female heavy in its storyline for all of us is amazing. I have to say you guys did nail it because I I think, you know, when something like that, when it ends so perfectly and it was perfect, wasn't it? It was such a perfect sitcom. Um, when it when it ended so well to bring it back I think that's why they don't bring a lot of stuff back because when it when it kind of sits there you kind of don't want to touch it because there's a risk of ruining it and I I think I'm probably right in saying that a few people were worried how it would go but oh it was just so good I just just laughed all the way through and then immediately went to watch it again it saluted every part of the series for Mm. people who'd watched it always and took it on again yes. to today. And what yeah. Jennifer is so brilliant at is the reflection of society at the moment. Mm-hmm. And all those characters reflected mm. the Kathy worst Berg of it. Kathy it as oh. well. Which, but, <laughs> just absolute genius. I love that woman. It was so, so brilliant. Um, Harry, you touched upon something a little bit uh, earlier, um, that you have a lovely son called Jack, who I know. Um, I was just interested, I was thinking on the way here today, about how you... Uh, navigate motherhood in uh, whilst you're being an actress and and, and was, did you find that difficult? Was it something that came naturally? I think my mother, as I said, was a writer so we always travelled with her. I have two children. I also have a lovely daughter called Florence and I separated from my ex-husband when they were eight and five mm-hmm. and so they were always involved in what I did and they were always part of it. Mm-hmm. 
And I learned from my own mother that why shouldn't we, especially in that era, 60s, 70s, 80s, the forefront of why shouldn't we be able to do everything? Mm -hmm. Where is the rule book that says, no, you can't? Mm -hmm. My mum always said, you know, I'm, she always got her scripts in early because people were so Ready suspicious and to negative not, yeah. to think, well, she's got children. Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. But because we were always part of that world and part of, and we had our own lives and our own mm -hmm. journeys, mm -hmm. I think it, it wasn't a thing to navigate. It was just what I did and... Mm -hmm. It was, you know, I, I would get up at the crack of dawn and do the school lunches, do the school run, walk the dogs, feed the cats, mm -hmm. and then go to rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Even now, the exciting thing in the West End that has been started with Caroline Sheen and right, yes. people yeah. is that people can job share. Uh -huh. And mm -hmm. you, you have your children and you job share. Mm -hmm. What a fantastic idea. Mm -hmm. And yes, why wouldn't you or couldn't you? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is an exciting idea, actually. And again, that's so interesting what you've said. I've just put another thing, you know, the navigation of, I know you say not, it's not about navigating, it's something that came naturally to you. But being a mother whilst being in the business, of course, you were surrounded by these women, uh, you know, Dawn French, Jennifer Saunders, um, and, and that group of people who were redefining what a woman in this business was. So, of course, of course, you juggled motherhood with being in the business. And, um, so that, and again, makes sense to me right now. I'm at an age, because of my great-great-grandmother um, riding a bicycle when she was a young woman around Maida Vale in London, um, people were appalled, by my grandmother going to university in her 50s, my mother, as a young woman, having the ability to go and write and be creative from the get-go because of her parents, and my ability to do what I want to do because of the support of the society that we live in in this country and women's freedom is that the people ahead of me don't know what's next because there's no one ahead who hasn't been a grandma. You know, nowadays we have the freedom not to be defined by an auntie, a granny. Um, oh, you're going to retire and go on a golfing holiday with your husband. I'd rather eat my own foot off. I was told Sort out your will and get a free pen by Michael Parkinson <laughs> at 50. I was told to sort out your will, as I said, to do some baking or go on a saga cruise. No, don't tell me what to do because I'm 50. Mm. I'm now 10 years older than that. Mm. And as I said, nobody, I don't know what's supposed to be next because there's no one ahead who's done, has had the freedom, right. the birth control, the education, right. the ability to do. Who's lived through for, those circumstances. Yeah, and to be this age now, to yeah. go, oh, I don't have to shut down and be nothing then. Right. We can still go on being who we are. Mm. And that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interviewing and have talked to loads of different women mm. in all walks of life. Mm. And it's it's thrilling. It's called mm. What's Next Vlog.com. And it's to challenge and look at the freedom we have in our world today and what do we want? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you did mention that you are older than 50. Yeah, uh, got free travel, darling. <laughs> it's the only thing, mind you. <laughs> but the one thing that always takes me by surprise, and maybe it's more within the community and certainly my group of friends, but mm. is how current you stay uh, via the vlog, via your involvement with um, 
uh, Mad Theatre and the, the Trust mm. and things like that, uh, you know, doing absolutely fabulous and how embraced that is uh, with the young community, the theatrical community, the gay community. Um, doing these shows at uh, Live at Zadel with Lavoie as well, you know, um, these things keep you so kind of current and kind of on the on the pulse but of what's because, going on. It's because we don't have to stop being who we are, which the generation ahead did, because you reach a certain age. We mm-hmm. can go on being who we are still. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to not be connected to our world just because I'm older. And I remember my grandparents going, well, I can't work the video. Mm. I'm not going to be that woman. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I may faff about with my iPhone and, you know, but I, yes, I want to stay current mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. why not? Well, exactly. Why not? And I'm loving it. And I'm such a big fan, Harriet, honestly. And um, thank you so much for taking the time out today to talk to us. It's I've, been such a pleasure. I've loved it. And uh, for those of you who want to, uh, Ruthless is playing at the Arts Theatre. Um, Harriet, when does it close? Do you remember? June. 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 Late June. June. Um, and Harriet, if people want to find you on social media, do you ha- are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter, Harriet underscore Thorpe. I am on Insta, mm-hmm. Dorable. And I am on, I have my own official Facebook page as well. Great. And uh, these YouTube videos that you spoke well, about it's, as well. Yes, it's called whatsnextvlog.com. Okay. Um, hashtag women like us. And it's talking about loads of different women. Great. And talking to them and setting challenges. People want to challenge me to do something. I'll go and do it. Okay. We need to know what pin, you know, Pinterest is about. Uh, <laughs> yes, I think I might have to sign up to that. It's nothing to do with needlework. So <laughs> Thank you so much, Harriet. Lots of love. Thank you. Thank you.